0: morning. How are we doing today? I hope you're recovered from Project Share. I will admit that uh, I, I had a different role. I helped pack uh, this Project Share and I woke up this morning feeling quite sore from using muscles that I don't normally use. Well, my name is Josh uh, and this morning I have the privilege of bringing the word. This morning. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are, God. We pray that your spirit would be upon us as we open your word. We pray that you would illuminate the message and help us to worship you more. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The grass is always greener on the other side. Are you familiar with this saying? This saying captures a common human experience. Namely, that no matter what our situation is, we have this notion that if something was different, our lives would be better. And often when we achieve that thing that we thought would make it better, we find out that the grass wasn't really any greener. In big ways or small ways, this creeps into our lives. If I just had a little more money, I'd be content. If I had gotten that promotion at work, then I would be satisfied. Or maybe it's relational for you. If I got married, then I'd have everything I need. Once we have kids or grandkids, then I won't be wanting anymore. Or maybe it's something in your current relationship. If my husband just acknowledged all that I've been doing around the house, then I'd be happy. Or if my wife or my kids just showed more affection to me, I wouldn't ever be unhappy. Another common way we can think the grass is always greener is through material items. If I just had the car that my neighbor has, then we'd have made it. For me, it's often time-related. If I wasn't so busy all the time, if I just had one less responsibility, if I had a few more hours to just relax, to just be by myself, I wouldn't have such a hard time being content. Thankfully, this struggle of wishing I had more time and less responsibility will only get easier when we have a kid. The world constantly bombards us with the allure of money, sex, power, and material goods. Later this week, we celebrate Thanksgiving, which is the national holiday of gratitude. The very next day is Black Friday, a day that screams that we need more things in our life to make us happy. What is it for you that you believe the grass is always greener? And what is it for you that once you achieve it, you will say, this is the greenest grass there is? In our passage today, Jesus is going to tell us where the only green grass can be found. If you haven't already, would you please open your Bibles to John 10, verses 7 through 10. This morning, we are continuing our study of John's gospel in our sermon series, The One and Only Son. Today, we're going to look at the third of seven I am statements that occur in John's gospel. Thus far, Jesus has claimed to be the bread of life and the light of the world. And today, he will claim to be the gate. Let's read our passage together. Jesus said again, truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Our passage this morning can be broken down into two points. Both of which are comparisons that Jesus makes between himself and others. These two comparisons are Jesus' identity as the gate in verses 7 and 8. And then the purpose of the identity of the gate in verses 9 through 10. So we're going to walk through our passage and look at these two comparisons. But first, let's establish the context of our passage. Jesus' teaching to a group of Jews, which included the religious leaders of the day. At the end of this greater passage, in verse 19, we find out that this group of Jews are divided because of his words. In verses 1 through 6, Jesus begins to teach the group of Jews using the analogy of a sheep pen, wherein he draws upon imagery of both the gate to that sheep pen and the shepherd who oversees the sheep. Like many other times, though, the crowd doesn't initially understand what Jesus is saying. So Jesus goes on to clarify with two I am statements. I am the gate, which we're going to look at today, and I am the good shepherd, which Pastor Tim will unpack next week. So let's turn to our text and unpack the identity of Jesus as the gate. Let's reread 10, 7 through 8. Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. What does Jesus mean when he says, I am the gate? Well, in the shepherding culture of first century Israel, Jesus' audience would have understood the type of gate that he was referring to. Often, Often in the yard of your home, there was a sheep pen that your, your family sheep would reside in, and sometimes another family sheep would reside in as well. There, this sheep pen had a gate, as seen here, that was the only entrance and exit to the sheep pen. Now, sometimes there was a constructed gate that you could, be, you could close, but more often than not, there was just an opening, and someone was paid or hired to stand in the gate, To prevent anyone from entering and any wandering sheep from exiting. So, Jesus, in our passage, is claiming to be the one who stands in the entrance of the sheep pen and determines who can enter and exit. In the context of this passage, the contents of the sheep pen can be understood as the Lord's presence, a relationship with the Lord and the covenant blessings that are desired by God's people. Now, in this analogy, who are the sheep? To the Jewish people in the audience, they would have understood that throughout the Old Testament, God's people are often referred to as sheep. These sheep that can access the sheep pen through the gate are the people of God. You and I are the sheep. Now, in our day and age, it's often unpopular to think of ourselves as sheep. Sheep are seen as as rather stupid and defenseless creatures that follow anyone who can convince them that they have something to offer. It's actually used as an insult to say, you're just a sheep following what they tell you. Or sometimes people will mockingly refer to a group of people as sheeple, I think to fully grasp this passage we have to come to terms with the fact that we are sheep. One of the reasons that we believe the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence is because our hearts are prone to wander. I have followed my own heart and my own reasoning and time and time again it leads me astray. Every time I achieve that milestone that I'm convinced will finally satisfy. I find myself wanting. I'm a sheep. And trying to convince myself I'm not, and that I can make my own way, leads me into danger. So, if God's people are the sheep, if you and I are the sheep, then what, me, what does it mean that Jesus is the gate? Well, there's the obvious that Jesus functions as the entrance uh, to the sheep pen. To the original audience, though, The reference to the gate would have undoubtedly brought forth a reference to Psalm 118, 19 through 20. This is what Psalm 118, 19 through 20 says. It says, open the gates of righteousness for me. I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the Lord's gate. The righteous will enter through it. In this psalm, the psalmist cries out to the Lord, to ask that the gates be opened to him. The psalmist also clarifies that the righteous will enter through the gate. The Lord's gate could only be entered through by the righteous. The, the Jewish audience that Jesus is speaking to would have understood that. Part of the controversy of Jesus' statement is that he claims to be the Lord's gate, the one who determines who can enter And who cannot enter. Well who then can enter the Lord's gate as righteous? Surely not the sheep that can't be trusted to find their way, right? Well what if the righteous one, Jesus Christ, made a way for the unrighteous to enter the presence of the Lord through the gate? What if the way to the Lord's blessing was paid for by the second person of the Trinity, stepping down from his heavenly place, taking the form of a human, and paying the price for our sins on the cross. This is no ordinary gate to the sheep pen. Here we have a gate that allows those who do not measure up to the glory of God, like myself, to enter the good pasture of a relationship with God. The requirement has not been cheapened, but instead is freely given as a gift to those who enter through the gate of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord that God made a way for those who are by nature unrighteous to still enter the Lord's gate. That according to the psalmist, is reserved for those who are righteous. Not because of anything that we have done. Not because as a sheep, I'm smarter than the other sheep or I'm a smarter sheep or a more righteous more capable more moral sheep but solely on the grounds of accepting Jesus is the only source of my righteousness. As we begin to read verse 8 we see that Jesus not only claims that he is the gate but he states that everyone who came before him is a thief and a robber. There's a comparison here. Jesus doesn't say, I am the best gate, but people who try to get in another way are acceptable and they should be commended. No, those who came before Jesus are thieves and robbers, which are not endearing terms. So who are these thieves and robbers that Jesus is comparing himself with? What does it mean when Jesus says, all those who came before me. Is Jesus referring to the prophets of the Old Testament who pointed towards Jesus like Moses and King David? Possibly, but I don't think that's the best understanding of what Jesus is saying here. If we go back to verse 1 of this passage, we read that any man who climbs in to the sheep pen by another way other than the gate is a thief and a robber. So, if the pasture that is to be enjoyed is the Lord's presence, which is only entered by the righteous, then any person who tries to get to the Lord or claims righteousness by any means that are not through the gate of Jesus Christ, that person is a thief and a robber. When speaking to the Jewish leaders of the day, who are trying to prove their righteousness through a strict following of Torah, The identity of these robbers and thieves are the Jewish leaders. In our day and age, there are many thieves and robbers who claim there are other ways into the Lord's presence. Many people say, hey, if you work hard enough, if you live a good enough life, you'll make it. The second half of verse 8 specifies, though, that the sheep, God's people, did not listen to these thieves and robbers. If we look back at verse 4 and 5, we read that the sheep do not follow strangers, but only follow the voice of the one that they know. For the people of God nowadays, we constantly have voices telling us that there are different ways to achieve righteousness, that there are different ways of living that are more satisfying than the life that the Lord offers. The best and most effective way to combat these temptations is by knowing the voice of the Lord. Even in this passage, we hear that the only way into the pasture is through the gate of Jesus Christ. When we know the truths of the gospel, that God wants to have a personal relationship with us, that our sin has separated us from God and left us with no ability to reach him, that Jesus came to earth, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross for our sins. And that what we must accept the free gift of grace in order to be saved. When we know those truths, any voice that tells a different story should be viewed as a stranger to us and should be rejected. Now, if we're Jesus' audience, we might be thinking, All right, Jesus. You're the gate. You're the only way into the sheep pen. But what's so great about this sheep pen? Jesus answers this question in the second portion of our text. The second comparison, which is the purpose of the gate. This comparison reveals that Jesus leads to the abundant life, while all others have come only to steal and destroy. Let's reread. 10 9 through 10. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. So this section begins with a repetition of the I am statement and a claim that the one who enters by the gate will be saved And find pasture. Now, if the Psalm 118 reference was not controversial enough to Jesus' audience, Jesus is going to make another reference to the Old Testament that the Jewish leaders will understand. Using this come in and go out language, he's referencing Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 6. It says, Now if you faithfully obey the Lord your God, and are careful to follow all his commands... I am giving you today, the Lord your God will put you far above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come and overtake you because you obey the Lord your God. Be blessed in the city, in the country. Your offspring will be blessed. Your land's produce, the offspring of your livestock, including the young of your herds, and the newborn of your flocks. Your basket and kneading bowl will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Same language here. This Deuteronomy passage speaks of the blessings that will be received by the Israelites in the Promised Land, which is the beginning of a long list of possible blessings and possible curses found in Deuteronomy 28. Verse 1 specifies that whether or not they receive blessing or curse is contingent on Israel's obedience. When Jesus repeats this language of coming in and going out, could Jesus be alluding to blessings provided by a new covenant? One that has been foretold by the prophets? Could this be a new covenant that is not conditional on man's obedience? Now, this doesn't nullify the need to be obedient to God's instructions. Just ask David Nottemacher. But it does illustrate. A powerful point about the pasture that Jesus is talking about. You see, the people of Israel were unable to uphold this Mosaic Covenant. They were brought into exile because of their sin. This new blessing of pasture that's available when we go in and when we come out is not reliant on our righteousness, but the righteousness of the gate whom we enter by. In this passage, Jesus not only says that the sheep who enter through the gate will find pasture, but also that they will be saved. The beauty of this passage is that it's a wonderful promise of the Christian life. You see, the salvific language of being saved surely refers to salvation that's received through Jesus Christ, which grants us eternal life in the age to come. But the pasture, Of the new covenant is offered to us before we die and go home to be with Jesus. Even though all of us struggle to fully enjoy the blessings because of our sinful wandering hearts, we can know that the Christian life promises us something wonderful in this life and something even better in the life to come. In verse 10, Jesus specifies that he came For the very purpose that they might have life and have it abundantly. Not only has Jesus come to grant us abundant life, but he compares his purpose with those who came before him. Those thieves came only to steal and destroy. Those who are trying to enter the pasture, the sheep pen, by other means than Jesus, those who are trying to lead the sheep into a different pasture, they are not thinking of the sheep. They want to take for themselves as a thief would and want to violently destroy as a robber would. So it's not just that Jesus came to allow the sheep into the greenest pasture around. It's that every other good news that leads you away from Jesus is harmful to you. It's not, oh, your grass might be a little greener than mine, but you enjoy yours and I'll enjoy mine. No, Jesus is saying that every other pasture is dead. There is no nourishment outside of the pasture found through Jesus. There's a popular message in our modern day that says, hey, you don't need anything from anyone, you are enough. If you just stay true to yourself, if you pursue your desires, you'll be satisfied. This is very similar to other religions in the world that tell you, if you pursue this teaching hard enough, if you achieve this or that, you'll be content and you'll make it into God's good graces. And I'm sure that the messengers of these worldviews have good intentions, but the weight of finding true satisfaction through willpower is too much for us to bear. The weight of the you-are-enough Gospel will crush you. It does not have your well being in mind. It has come to steal and destroy. Jesus has come to allow you entrance into the abundant life through Himself. Jesus tells you, hey, you're not enough. And that's okay, because I am enough. You can find satisfaction only through me. And when we come to terms with that, it is beautiful. The weight of the gospel of self-made satisfaction gets lifted off of our shoulders, shoulders. I'm not enough. I'm a sheep, an unrighteous sheep who needs help finding the abundant life. I don't need to pretend like I have it all together, or pretend that I'm someone that I'm not, Jesus meets me where I'm at. He says, Josh, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Come in through me, and you will find abundant life. Praise the Lord, that Jesus is the gate that will allow me to enter the abundant life that is only reserved for the righteous, because he is enough. Now, I have to warn us of another ditch that comes up when we talk about this passage. You see, there's a false message called the prosperity gospel that would have God's people believe that the abundant life described in verse 10 promises health, wealth, and prosperity. Now, I know that many of you come to North Sub because we actively preach against this gospel and praise the Lord for that. But this false gospel can creep into our theology ever so subtly. The enemy will whisper to us, the Lord doesn't want that for you. The reason that you're in this scenario is because the Lord has abandoned you because of your lack of faith. So for some clarity about what the abundant life looks like and what it means, let's look at another passage in scripture that uses the imagery of green pastures. Psalm 23. Psalmist says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. You see, in verse 1, David, who is the author of this psalm, says that he has what what he needs. He's not left wanting. That's the abundant life. There are green pastures and still waters when David's with the Lord. David also makes it clear that he has no expectation of avoiding the valley of the shadow of death. But instead, while he's in the valley, he has no fear because the Lord is with him. I love how John Piper puts it when talking about a Christian's response to a cancer diagnosis. He says, cancer does not win if you die. We don't fear death. We serve the one who has conquered the grave. Cancer wins if you fail to cherish Christ throughout your struggle. When you turn to the Lord and say, how dare you do this to me? That's when you're not experiencing the abundant life. The abundant life does not mean that we escape the harrowing effects of sin on our bodies. But it does mean that Jesus is with us every step of the way. So no matter what comes, we are able to say, it is well with my soul. There's also an iteration of this false gospel that would say, if you follow Jesus, if you have enough faith, you don't step on any toes, no one will have any problem with you. But Psalm 23 doesn't promise us that there will be no enemies. Oh no, there'll be enemies. In fact, there was rarely a moment in King David's life where someone wasn't trying to kill him. But are we shaking in fear before our enemies? No, that's not what the Psalm says. A feast has been prepared in our enemy's presence. David's head is being anointed with oil. His cup is so full that it's overflowing. That's the abundant life. These green pastures are full of goodness and love all the days of our lives. Let's protect protect ourselves against believing promises that are not given in the Bible and cling to the many promises that are. This abundant life is something that we are all searching for and our souls are in desperate need of. John 10.10 has a special significance for me because of my two friends, Dan and Mike. When we were missionaries with crew in East Asia, I was working with a college student named Dan. Dan had been a believer for a long time, and he really wanted to share the gospel with his friend Mike. But he was nervous to do so. So I kept working with Dan, and he became more and more comfortable with the idea of sharing with him. In May, at the end of the school year, he said, okay, I'll invite my friend Mike, and you can share with him, and we'll see how it goes. But only if it seems right. We don't want to be pushy. I said, okay, Dan, well, we'll see how the conversation goes. So I meet Mike, who's a fellow chemical engineering student, and we start talking, and he expresses interest in hearing more about who Jesus is. I shared Crewe's four spiritual laws, which include scripture about the gospel, including John 10.10. And at the end, he indicated interest in praying to receive Christ. I was really excited about this, but the summer was coming. We, we were going to leave the country, and I was worried that when we came back the following fall, Mike would no longer be interested in following Jesus. When we got back in the country in August, I made arrangements to meet back up with Mike. Dan had graduated and had moved to a different city, so it was just me and Mike. Now, Mike's English was not very good, so I wasn't fully confident that he had understood the message of the gospel. We met for lunch, and I was asking him how his summer went. I brought up Jesus and asked him if he was still interested in growing in his faith. He told me, yes, he was. And out of curiosity, I asked, hey, what what attracted you to Jesus? He thought for a moment. He tried to explain, but he he couldn't articulate what he wanted to say in English. So he took out his phone and he translated what he, he wanted to say from his native language. I'll never forget this. Mike turned his phone around, showed me his translation app. And it said, I want the abundant life. And by the grace of God, Mike continues to follow Jesus. As a new believer, he was known by his church as the guy who showed up early every Sunday to serve during the pandemic. The guy who Dan was really nervous to share with heard the message of the gospel and said, There's something about Christianity that can offer me something that I've never had. Our big idea today is this. Okay. Oh, maybe to go. I'll just tell you. Our big idea today is this. Jesus is the only gate to the all-satisfying pasture of salvation. Let's look to him for abundant life. Thank you. I want to leave you with three exhortations for all of us. Each one builds upon one another. First, if you're here this morning and you haven't taken the step to go through the gate of Jesus Christ, I would invite you to take that step of faith today. Jesus offers us entrance to a pasture that is only accessible by Jesus' righteousness. This is available to you by grace through faith when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you haven't taken that step, please talk to someone after the service about how you can do that. Secondly, for all of us who have made the decision to follow Jesus, let's look nowhere else than to Jesus for our satisfaction in this life and our salvation in the next life. This is an ongoing battle for me because my sinful heart constantly tries to tell me that there is greener grass on the other side of some fence. Two really practical ways we can combat this. The first is to know the voice of Jesus. The more fellowship we have with our Lord, the less outside voices will tempt us. Secondly, is verbalizing our struggle with other believers. Satan loves to whisper to us in secret. Hey, that item that you've been eyeing for Black Friday, that's what's going to finally satisfy you. And I'm sitting in bed, wrestling with that temptation. Maybe that's the truth. Maybe this is what will finally satisfy me. But when I go to my wife and I verbalize that feeling, hey, I have this idea that this is what's finally going to make me happy. Or when you go to your small group and say, hey, I feel like all the holes in my life will be filled when I get married. They can lovingly say, hey, that might be a great thing, but that won't satisfy you. Only Jesus can. I pray that North Sub would be a people that believe in their innermost being that life with Christ is the best life possible. That all of us can routinely say, it is well with my soul. Finally, when we are fully convinced that the abundant life is found in Jesus, and we experience the goodness of the green pastures, the fear of sharing Christ with others, becomes far less scary, and the task becomes far more urgent. Your neighbor, your coworker, your family member that you will see later this week, they are all searching for the abundant life that only Jesus offers. Let us be a people who cannot help but tell others on the North Shore about how this Jesus has transformed our lives. And how he can transform their life as well. Not in a holier-than-thou manner. Or a pushy way. But out of a love that overflows from how much Jesus loves us. Jesus said, I am the gate. The gate of Jesus Christ offers his righteousness to you. So that you may enter the Lord's presence. And experience blessing. The gate came in order that you and I might have life and have it abundantly. There is no greener grass than what Jesus offers. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that look to you for our satisfaction, a people that look to you for our salvation, that we could view any voice that says differently, as a stranger and cling to the promises that you've given us. I pray that we would experience the abundant life and tell others that they can experience it too. We thank you for your great gift of being the gate, the only entrance into the Lord's presence. We pray all this in your name. Amen.